This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Since September of 2020, before now with Dave Brown even existed, when this lovely Studio 5 was hosting live from Studio 5 and I was on sick leave, we've been discussing the federal government's plan to create a national disability inclusion action plan. Well, the plan is here. It was unveiled officially on October the 8th. Our accessibility reporter, Megan Gilmore, is here to talk about what the plan includes. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. I think you were back from your leave by the time mm, we started talking about this. It was after Thanksgiving in October of 2020. So, so oh, I was, wow. But now that's that said, we were certainly talking about this in October of 2020 as well. So I feel we've just been talking about this all the time. Like if we had a dollar for every time. We'd have like $15. Megan, <laughs> before we get into the Disability Inclusion Action Plan, you were mm-hmm. out there working it last night as a journalist, yes. rubbing shoulders and rubbing elbows and getting the inside scoop. You've got a little bit of breaking news for us here this morning. Yes. So Bill C-22, which is the bill to create the Canada Disability Benefit, was at second reading Uh, Earlier this week, it was brought up again for debate. And last night, debate on the bill collapsed, which means that the House of Commons has decided to stop debating it. And the next vote, which should hopefully be today, will be to bring that bill to committee, which, as we've discussed previously on the show, is where it will be debated, where witnesses will be called to discuss the topic of disability poverty and where any substantial changes can be made to the bill before it comes back for third reading. So this is a big moment if it gets passed to committee. I know there's been a lot of discussion out there about like what changes can or should be made. And that all comes down to committee discussions. Or perhaps the theme of what this entire conversation will be, details details within the bill which uh, we're yes. talking about frameworks versus details and it can get very confusing and that's this is why people don't like politics megan let's uh, jump in back to the disability inclusion action plan even though we've probably got 15 to 20 dollars in our pocket for the dollar that we received every time we've talked about it give yes. me the overview here what is the purpose of this Right. So as we've said, it was originally announced in the speech from the throne in September 2020 uh, under the title Disability Inclusion Plan. And then the government was like, oh, we need to make it sound like we're more active. So they put the word action in there later on. And it kind of at the time was sort of seen as this way to respond to the needs of Canadians with disabilities that had been raised during the pandemic. So this is also right after there was that little like one time federal payment for Canadians with disabilities mm-hmm. that was widely panned, widely criticized, even by Minister Carl Culture herself. Um, so then this plan came out and it listed several areas that it would focus on, including financial security, employment, et cetera, et cetera. In September 2021, the federal government hosted like an online consultation asking people what they would think about the plan. Again, lots of debate around that. Some people loved it, some people didn't. About 8,000 people responded. 
And now we finally have this inclusion action plan. So as the broad strokes of the plan are laid out on the website and press releases, what are the pillars that have been laid out here? What is the plan focusing on? Right. So uh, as you mentioned, the government likes to use the language of pillars for this. And there's four of them, financial security, employment, accessible and inclusive communities, and finally, a modern approach to disability. And then in the plan itself, each pillar section will uh, contain like three headings. So first, there's like a short paragraph about what the current reality is for people with disabilities in Canada as it relates to the topic of that pillar. And then a summary of what the government says it's heard during its consultations and roundtables. And then a list of actions that the federal government says that it's going to take to address the areas raised in this pillar. So let's talk about those actions. What are some of the things the government's the government says it's going to do? So financial security, uh, which is kind of seen as one of the main pillars, obviously underneath that is developing the Canada Disability Benefit, uh, which we which we've just, we just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So there is movement going on there, um, and then also things like updating eligibility and improving access to the disability tax credit. Again, something that disability advocates and organizations have been calling on for decades. And then like doing more research into the additional costs of disability. We often say having a disability costs you more money, hence mm-hmm. financial security. Mm-hmm. Let's do research for that. Under employment, there's things like increasing funding for already existing uh, government funds that the Opportunities Fund. And then there's a lot of like strategies they want to create. So an employment strategy for persons with disabilities uh, and also a national veterans employment strategy. And then um, the law, creation, uh, creating a disability inclusion business council to, I, I suppose, help businesses discuss how they want to be inclusive. Under accessible and inclusive communities, a lot of that is things like built environment. So uh, a big one actually is looking at the accessibility of shelters for people who are fleeing gender-based violence, often women fleeing domestic violence. Uh, many of those shelters are inaccessible for people mm. with physical disabilities, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a concern that's been being raised for years. But also funding for CELA. Um, an organization that we have on this program all the time. Yeah, let me, let, let me unpack there. the acronym, Center for Equitable Library Access, yes. just in case people are tuning in for the first time. Yes, and then other things about renovation, construction, retrofitting uh, buildings. And then under the modern approach to disability, Dave, I thought of you as I was reading this, <laughs> working on the discussion of how a common definition of disability could be used across the government of Canada. Uh, I would suggest that the government of Canada go through our archives to see some of the discussions we've had about that topic. Yeah, we had a really, uh, we had a big one on that one in early 2021 about, about yes, modern, modern versus old school definitions of disability, social versus medical definitions of disability. All these definitions. Yes. The government listen to us. And then things about like developing a disability data improvement strategy. And uh, there was a note about the Canadian Congress on Disability Inclusion. It was hosted for the first time this past May. That was actually when this plan was supposed to originally be released um, because of some delays. It wasn't released until earlier this month. It sounds like that Congress is going to be an ongoing thing. Megan, there's a lot there. I mean, even, even though there may be still some details lacking, there's still a lot there in terms of some principles and guiding principles for us to look at. For me, as I start examining this, 
I do like the idea of separating the pillar of employment and financial security because I think that speaks to some of the vastness that exists across the disability community that so many times people will advocate and say jobs are the way out of disability disability and poverty or poverty related to disability. And the fact is it just doesn't take into account there are people who either can't work 40 hours a week or can't work at all. Right. So you need to start creating a a simplified framework to make sure you're not leaving people in destitution because they can't work. But then the second aspect is employment and how those pillars work together matters, because how many times are you and I talking about clawbacks on the air that somebody might want to work 10 or 15 hours a week while they're on some sort of government support? But by doing so they're potentially compromising their supports, which puts people into a no-win situation. So to me, as I'm looking at those two pillars, those are the two that matter because if you can't solve those two, the other two aren't really going to matter. How you define disability doesn't matter if people are perpetually living in poverty. Right. No, I totally agree with you. Like, I think, and I say this all the time when I'm asked to speak about disability and journalism, and I have a disability, I'm a journalist, and what language do I prefer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, and I tell people all the time that I understand the heart behind this question. I want to believe the best about you, that you're trying to be sensitive. I personally, Megan Gilmore, I personally do not care. I mean, like, I, I prefer a visually impaired to partially sighted. But besides that, I mean, I, I don't care when I have people in this country who are dying because they can't afford to live and the government has created a way for the government to provide them with death um, when they can't find a place to live, they can't find like rent, they can't pay for their groceries. I'm like, I don't care what you're gonna call my disability. I just want to see people not living in poverty. Like, can you please go work on that mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. we have a like semantic conversation? What, what about some, sorry, I, I, mean, I might've jumped ahead there, Megan, a little bit, but what oh, are some fun. of the other things that jumped out to you as you started taking a deeper dive into this? Sure. So an obvious one, if people are wondering when will all of this happen, we don't actually know. So there's um, there's some timelines that are associated with very specific action items, like increasing the number of people with disabilities employed in the federal government. There's a target date for that for 2025. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's certain like plans that have dates. Most things we don't have timelines. That's Partly because the government says, especially Minister Carla Culture's office says that they want this to be a quote evergreen plan, uh, and I I think I appreciate the heart behind that. That this is disability is not going away, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that we have disability disability here, but so we we need this to be something that people are always looking at, um, and I I'm thrilled to see a veterans employment strategy in there. Mm-hmm, I think that's mm-hmm. part of this conversation that often gets lost and it's crucial to understanding disability history in this country. Um, it's ridiculous that people serve this nation, get injured in the line of duty and then come back and can't find work. Um, uh, so that I'm really grateful um, as a legally blind individual who thinks that everybody is reading everything at way too small of a font. I appreciate any <laughs> mention of large print. Um, but no, I, I have some concerns. Um, I think for me as a journalist, as someone who's covered this, anytime I hear this government tout their landmark work for people with disabilities, I think, like, who are you comparing yourself to? Like, 
like, are you just saying that there's been so little done on this before that anything you do looks amazing compared to what's been done in the past? I mean, there's something, there's something to that. Yeah. Like, 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 what are you? No, but, 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 but I mean, there is something to saying that like our work is landmark because no one else was willing to put the work in. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's a good, right. I guess that's good, but it's also like. I'd, I'd listen, right, Megan. Like, I, believe me, I'm 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 someone who fights who fights the branding, the branding impulses, uh, left, right, and center. Uh, there was a major uh, retailer who got a lot of positive press yesterday for freezing the prices of their house brand, even though they've been one of the contributors to inflation. You know, so uh, and right. then of course, basically gets printed like a press release, uh, yeah. like a, a, across newspapers and TV news stations. So I, I I do understand that that temptation of when journalists are like, "Am I going to call this landmark in my copy?" I I definitely see where you're coming from there. As I look at this, Megan, because again, the, the, the thing that we always circle back to in this conversation is details, details, details. Yeah. The thing is, it's tough to do the details until you create frameworks and processes. And I know we're talking about a government that's been in power since 2015. So you'd think perhaps by now, frameworks and processes would have been figured out within seven years. But I think when they start talking about the evergreen nature of these pillars mm-hmm. or these plans, it's that you can use these as guiding principles as you frame policy. So there is something to that, that so many times you and I might have ideas of, well, this is a good solution and that's a good solution, but at what point does that become piecemeal or hodgepodge versus mm-hmm. trying to create some sort of framework? Right, and I also think it speaks to something that uh, Minister Qualtra was talking about in the last election, something that our friend and colleague, Michelle McQuig, really picked up on in her reporting for the Canadian Press, was the what we call like the disability lens that needs to be applied across governments. And there's so many um, aspects of this plan that are related to other areas of government. So I think Mm -hmm. it also just speaks to like everybody kind of needs to be part of this. And yes, our current Minister of Disability Inclusion is also the Minister of Employment, Employment and Workforce Development and EI and all those things. Yes, and that's great. And she likes that. She wants those two things together. But there's other people in cabinet and they all need to be looking at this. And then there's also the fact that we were talking about clawbacks. A lot of those clawbacks come at provincial mm-hmm, and territorial mm-hmm. levels. So again, the federal government only has direct, direct, direct influence on certain spheres in Canadian society. This doesn't let other governments off hook. Right. That's going to keep uh, Dominique Leblanc, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, uh, pretty busy in terms of a further implementation on this. No doubt about it. Uh, Megan, let's go for a quick update here. You did mention medical assistance in dying in your comments mm-hmm. there. Yep. We were supposed to be getting um, something from the committee, Commons and Senate Committee, uh, studying the issue. Do we have any updates on that? Yes. So uh, the House of Commons and the Senate have a joint committee on medical assistance and dying, studying things like the state of palliative care, uh, how people with disabilities have have been impacted by medical assistance and dying, um, and then also future expansions, so including um, mature minors, that would be children, and eligibility. That report was due out yesterday, October 17th. Late last week, the House voted to extend the deadline, so February 17th is now when we are expecting that. That is the second extension that's been given to this report. And again, in March 2020, 
2024 is, uh, sorry, March 2023, sorry, so next March is when the government is set to allow made for individuals whose sole underlying medical condition is a mental illness. So this report is due out about a month before that. Megan, we're a little tight for time here because as always, you and I get a little bit chatty with one another, but give me the 30-second elevator pitch on the newest episode of Connecting Disability, the original AMI audio podcast. Drops tomorrow. We've been talking on this network about Mike Shorman and mm-hmm. his journey across the Great Lakes. You can listen to a full interview with him about that tomorrow on Connecting Disability. Look at this. Megan Gilmore landing Mike Shorman. We tried for months, but Megan, being the intrepid journalist she is, lands the big fish. Megan, he was pe- kind of like out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> he was kind of out in the middle of the lake, for what it's worth. Hard to get Wi-Fi reception out there in the middle of Lake Huron. Megan, thank you for this. Have a great day and have a great podcast. You too. That's Megan Gilmore. She is the host of Connecting Disability. You can find that on your favorite podcasting platform with a new episode dropping tomorrow. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.